Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 10. By God's grace, we will be finishing chapter 10 today. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the saying, there is none so blind as he who will not see. There is none so deaf as those who will not hear. As best as we can tell, this saying goes back to the 1500s. Uh, English author John Haywood, a a man famous for his poems and collections of many proverbs. Well, this proverb appears to be adapted from certain biblical texts, such as Jeremiah 5.21 that reads, Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Or perhaps Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, and he said, Go say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. There is none so blind as he who will not see, and none so deaf as those who will not hear. I'm sure we've all witnessed individuals who just seem to be completely blind to circumstances within their own lives. Perhaps we've been that individual ourselves and it takes someone coming along to us and and informing us and and pointing us, hey, how can you be so blind to this? It's right here out in front of you. So often we can be blind to our own circumstances. It's blind to the reality that sometimes our our own poor choices have led us into the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We always are so prone to want to try to shift the blame to something else and say, well, it's because of this factor over there or because of this thing over there. We always want to deflect the blame. We want to deflect the cause of our trouble. We want to deflect it onto something else, which is a tactic that goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve first partook of the fruit and they sought to pass the buck along and say, well, it's, it's actually it's this woman that you gave me and I ate. This tendency to play the victim, to be willfully ignorant and willfully blind, it carries on to us today. Of course, Peter spoke of the scoffers who willfully overlook obvious information as they scoff about the return of the Lord. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, this they willfully forget or deliberately overlook. The theme of willful blindness and willful ignorance is prevalent throughout Scriptures. Even in our Gospel of Mark, we have found the concept of, of spiritual blindness. It's a common metaphor that Jesus seeks to help his, he, he wants his disciples to see, he wants them to see clearly, but they do not yet see clearly. And we saw back in chapter eight, a bit of a living parable as Jesus performed that two-stage healing where he, there was a blind man and he partially healed him and so he could see, but he was still fuzzy. I see men, but they're like trees walking around and then he healed the blind man completely and he could see clearly again. And that was designed to illustrate for the disciples, you're not seeing clearly yet, but I'm going to get you there. I am going to help you see but so far as we have gone to this point here in the gospel of mark they still aren't quite seeing yet they still don't have a full grasp for it if if we just were in the the passage we were in last week they're still arguing and discussing and desiring to have the greatest seats in the kingdom arguing about which of them is the greatest which is hardly the approach that those with spiritual insights should be taking as Jesus continues to try to patiently teach them about his death, about his suffering, and for the reason 
why he came into the world and the reason why they are on the road to Jerusalem at this very moment in the Gospel of Mark. They still aren't quite seeing just yet. And so perhaps it really should be of no surprise to us that as we come to this passage of Scripture today in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46, that we find a man by the name of Bartimaeus who happens to be physically blind, and yet, despite his physical blindness, he seems to have the best perception of anyone in the book so far. He seems to see clearly about who Jesus Christ is and and what is needed and what Jesus can do for him more clearly than anybody else so far. He seems to be the only one seeing clearly despite his physical blindness. How does he approach Jesus? Though he is blind, he does see him as the Messiah. He does see him as his only hope. And this Sight is by faith. Let's read our text, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, through the end of the chapter. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Lord, as we study this text today, I pray that you will help us to see clearly. Help us to embrace Jesus, the Messiah, our only hope. May we do so by faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and this is the last stop before he gets there. He's passing through Jericho. A few things to note just by way of helping us kind of set the context as we've come to this point in this book. This is going to be the last of Jesus' healing miracles in the book of Mark. The final one. After this, there will be no more healings, and it's appropriate that this is the final healing, that this is, and that his final healing is giving sight to the blind, as though to remind us what it takes to truly see. This passage forms in a literary device known as an inclusio. I mentioned the two-stage healing of the blind man back in chapter 8. Well, that that passage and this one brackets the the chapters of chapters 8 through 10. It it forms a literary unit known as an inclusio that, that just brackets the information together. And within this inclusio, within this literary structure here, we have seen Jesus confront the religious leaders of the day as they've interacted with him and confront them on their blindness 
but also the blindness of his own disciples as they still do not see clearly as they still are jockeying for position, as they still are desiring, oh, Lord, I want to sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom, as they're walking along the road arguing about which of them is the greatest of all the disciples. They still have a fundamental failure to see. Jesus has done all this teaching. He has taught them about his death. He has taught them about what is to come. He has taught them about the road that they are on, about the pathway to Jerusalem. And yet, they are still self-absorbed, thinking about their own agendas and their own interests and not the message of Christ and what he has come to accomplish. This is the last section before Jesus does enter Jerusalem and the rest of the book, it it escalates towards his death, his burial, the resurrection, the the purpose for which he has come. The next passage in chapter 11 is gonna pick up the theme of Jesus being the Davidic Messiah as he enters into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. But we know that that message is ultimately going to be rejected by the city as they will lead him to Jerusalem. Calvary and the cross. And so once again, this miracle is a fitting capstone of all the miracles in the ministry of Jesus Christ. A sight recovery miracle with a confession that he is the Davidic Messiah. And it encapsulates the entire thrust of the ministry of Jesus. He has come to give light and life. He has come as the Messiah. And he must be received and embraced by faith. So let's start working through this text. Here we see Jesus traveling on the road to Jericho. He passes through. Jesus, customarily, he has that large crowd that is accompanying him. He's a very popular individual, lots of individuals there. And as they come out the other side, there sits Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. It's interesting, this is the only recipient of a miracle throughout all of Mark's gospel that is named by name. This is the only one that we, that we have. Here we have Bartimaeus. Why he is named is not really clear for us. It's possible that this was an individual that was known to the church to which Mark was writing. And so, hey, this is a guy that you know. You know about this one. Here's how Bartimaeus received his sights. Bartimaeus is a significant figure And I want us to notice three key things about Bartimaeus' interaction with Jesus that reveal that though he may have been physically blind, he was the one, he was the most spiritually perceptive individual that we have seen in this gospel so far. First, look at verse 47. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David. He calls him the son of David. This is a critical confession for us that would be foolish to overlook. This is a unique statement. This this is the only place throughout all of Mark's gospel where Jesus is identified as the son of David. There's a critical confession. Bartimaeus is identifying Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah King the one who was to come. Though he was blind, he could see well enough to know that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah, the Davidic King. 
So we see that those who would see must see Jesus as the Messiah. This takes us back into the Old Testament where we see the promises that God made to King David. If we were to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a covenant with David that his throne would be established forever. And so we see in, this is 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The three things promised there, your house, your kingdom, and your throne. Bartimaeus says, you are the son of David. This Davidic covenant established a messianic hope that there would one day come a king. One day come a king from the line of David who would rule in perfect justice. And the fact of the Messiah coming in David's line, that's picked up by several of the prophets as they connected the Messiah to this Davidic covenant. And I want us to consider one such of the prophecies. This is Isaiah chapter 9. And this is a a very common passage that we think about as we're coming into the Christmas season. We think about different songs that that proclaim Handel's Messiah draws heavily from this passage. Your house, the, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you at the joy of the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, for the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And of the government... And of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Bartimaeus hears Jesus coming and as he calls out to him, he recognizes him. This is the one to whom the prophecy refers to. This is him. This is the guy. This is the one, the Messiah, the coming one, the one who will sit on David's throne. He is here. The promise is that he will accomplish justice and he will give blessings to those who are oppressed. Of that messianic figure, Solomon wrote in Psalm 72, verses 12 and 14. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and those who who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. So again, Bartimaeus, he sees Jesus. He hears of him. He hears all the wonderful things that has been done. And he says, this is the Davidic king. 
This is the Davidic Messiah. This is the one who has to come. This is the one who has, who brings the hope of not only righteousness and justice, this is the one who brings the hope of healing and restoration. So this confession is not just a confession of, of hope and physical restoration, though certainly that's there. He, he's gonna make a request that he may receive his sight. But it is also a declaration that Jesus Christ is the rightful ruler, that Jesus Christ is the king of kings, and that he has every right to sit on David's throne. Bartimaeus may be blind, but Bartimaeus can see. He can already see who Jesus is. He sees what so few have been able to see, the identity of Jesus the Christ. It is true that he is not the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. We saw, of course, Peter's confession. We saw that back in chapter eight as well. He confessed, you are the Christ. But then Peter had to be immediately rebuked for he did not understand the implications of what that meant. He failed to understand Christ's purpose. Here, Bartimaeus, not only his confession is not only the Messiahship of Christ, but his rightful title as the promised son of David. He is the king. Sadly, the majority of the Jews have rejected Jesus as her Messiah. If they are to see, if they are to be saved, they must come to a place where they embrace Jesus as their Messiah. The nation of Israel, of course, is in the news these days very heavily. It's, it's all over the place. Every news channel, every news outlet, it is just so prevalent there. The, the conflict going on in Israel has brought so much discussion into the church about the nature and the role of Israel, about the, the state of Israel today and the role, the relationship between Christ, or uh, the relationship between Israel and the church, etc. And I do firmly believe that ethnic Israel remains God's chosen people. I do firmly believe that, that ethnic Israel, God has a plan for them. I also believe that they have as, by and large, as a people group, they have rejected their Messiah. And that the only hope of salvation for any Jew is through Jesus Christ in embracing her as embracing him as their Messiah, as the Messiah. But I also believe that there is coming a day where that will happen. That is a surely coming day when the Lord will pour out his mercy upon Israel. Every promise that he has made to them, he will keep. There is promised a day of great tribulation that will come upon the earth, but that God will fully restore Israel. She will possess the land, and Romans 11 is so crystal clear that all Israel will be saved. That's a promise that is coming. But it happens through embracing Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And this is important to note because for a very important reason, there are, there are many who would, 
There are many who would accuse individuals who would hold to our particular theological beliefs, our dispensational beliefs. They would accuse people like this who see a distinction between Israel and the church, and they would say, they would say that we think that there is a pathway to salvation for Israel outside of Jesus Christ. And that is simply not the case. That is not true. That is not what we believe. We do not believe that. Jesus is the only means of salvation for us as Gentile believers, but also for the Jewish people. The only pathway to salvation is through Jesus Christ. We do affirm that the promises that of God will one day be poured out upon the people. They will one day look upon whom they have pierced and they will weep. They will mourn for their own rejection and treatment of their Messiah, but they will finally and fully embrace him as their Messiah. And this is important. This is important not only for Jewish individuals, but for Gentile believers as well. Who is Jesus Christ. That title of Christ, that's not his last name, right? It's a title. What does that mean? He is the Davidic king. He is the ruler over all. He is the sovereign, omnipotent king. Embracing him as such recognizes his authority. Son of David, the Messiah, the Davidic King. We look forward to a day when Jesus Christ returns to this earth and he sets up his kingdom. That kingdom is going to be far greater, more glorious, more beautiful, more righteous, more just than any other kingdom that has ever existed upon the face of this earth. And Christ will rule in perfection. That day is coming. That day is coming. Those who see must see Jesus as the Messiah. Well, Bartimaeus sees him. He says, son of David. He calls out to him, but notice what he says. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus saw Jesus, and he saw him as his only hope. There's no other means of of mercy. No other means of hope. Bartimaeus knew that the only person that could help him, the only person that could ease his plight and predicament, it was Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ is an exclusive pathway. That is not a popular message in today's age. There are many who uh, would look at all the different religions of the world and conclude, you know, they're just all different roads to the same place. I had an individual tell me this week that, that he, the way he viewed it was it's like spokes on a wheel. As long as you believe in something, we're all maybe on different spokes, but we're all connected to the same hub. We're all trying to get to the same place in the end. So you just gotta believe in something and we'll be all right. But we know what the scriptures say. Jesus Christ could not have been clearer. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other pathway. There is no other opportunity. There is no other means of hope outside of Jesus Christ. There are many other verses that we could turn to that point to the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. Jesus is our only hope. No one else has the power to save. No one else has the power to heal. No one else has the power to forgive. No one else can calm the stormy seas, multiply food, and rule and reign in perfect righteousness and justice and truth. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. So Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus for mercy because Jesus is the only one that can supply that mercy. I think there's one passage in in the Gospel of John where where Jesus turns to several of his disciples. Many of them were turning away from him and Jesus says to them, do you too want to, to leave and go somewhere else? And the reply is, to whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That is what Bartimaeus recognizes. Son of David, have mercy on me. He needed the mercy of the Lord. It's interesting to note that there are some individuals within his text that tried to dissuade him from speaking up. They tried to, tried to keep him quiet. Bartimaeus, shh, this isn't for you. Right, just be quiet. Right, you're just a blind beggar. Right, you have no business talking to this respected rabbi. They try to shut him up. By standards of that society, he certainly, as a blind beggar, would not have been well thought of. There's actually some irony in his name. The the name Bartimaeus means son of honor, and here he is. He's a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road. There's no honor in that that culture. He certainly would not have been considered worthy of Jesus' time, never mind the fact that Jesus has spent so much of his time in his ministry with people just like Bartimaeus. Jesus has spent constant time with those that society would have considered to be outcasts. And yet the people continue to push him away and to shut him up, to keep him down. I shudder at the thought of being in their shoes on the day of judgment, of being an individual who actively seeks to hinder people from coming to Christ. That's a serious serious thing. We all should pray, Lord, keep me from being a hindrance to anyone from following after Christ. Lord, may I never be in that position where I'm pushing people away from Christ, where I'm creating distance between Christ and an individual. Don't let me be like this. But in this text, we also see the kindness of Jesus to stop and to call him. And we've seen this time and time again as we've gone through this book, haven't we? The compassion of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the the love of Christ for individuals, even those that would be pushed away. Every time someone tries to push someone away from Christ, Jesus says, no, 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 let them come. We saw this just a few 
passages ago with the little children. Let the little children come. Don't, don't, don't hinder them. The same is true here. Jesus calls out to him and he enthusiastically leaps up. I, I love how it says this here where it says, call him and they call the blind man, take heart, hey, it's all right, it's okay, you can come. Hey, he says it's all right, he says you can come. He's calling you. And in verse 50, he says he threw off his cloak and he sprang up. Like this man was excited. Jesus has called out to him. And he was there for it. He was there for it. He, he sprang up, he throws off his cloak and he comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? And the reply is, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Just an interesting note about the way the ESV has translated things there. It brought in the word rabbi, and uh, it's just an interesting thing because the, the underlying word here is actually rabboni, which is, it's an intensive form of the word rabbi. And so we have uh, different translations would actually bring that in. So the NESB, for example, translates it as rabboni. It's a heightened form of the word rabbi. And it carries the idea of not only teacher, but also master and Lord. As Bartimaeus comes unto Christ, he comes before him in humble submission to Christ. Rabboni, teacher, master, my Lord, please, let me recover my sights. I want to see. I want to see. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 52. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Those who would see must see Jesus by faith. This is another one of the central themes that we've seen throughout this gospel, the concept of faith. Those who have faith, those who lack faith, we've seen this contrast at play at different points. Jesus grants him his sight because of his faith. Those who would see must see Jesus by faith. Throughout this gospel, there's that constant contrast. And here's poor, blind, beggar Bartimaeus. Though he was blind, he could see the most clearly because he had faith. He sees that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah. He sees that Jesus is his only hope, and he sees these things by faith in Christ. And this, of course, is how we must all come to Jesus. We must all come to him by faith. So many familiar texts that we know and love so dearly. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of your own self. This is not of yourselves. This is not your own doing. This is a gift of God, not of your own works. Salvation is a gift of God's grace that we receive through faith. I think so often when we read passages like this, we can, we can honestly say, yes, amen, salvation is, is by grace, it is through faith, amen, amen, and we should say that. Salvation by grace, yes. But then so often we can then say, all right, Lord, thank you so much by saving me by your grace through faith, 
I'll take it from here. And we try to work out our own salvation in our own power and in our own strength. We try to progress and grow in our own personal sanctification by our own efforts, by our own strength. And we need to be reminded of Paul's words to the Galatians. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Galatians 3, verse 3. See, as we think about this text, we can think about it so often in the context of salvation. And and that's good and right and appropriate to do so. This is those who would see as we come to Jesus, we must see by faith. But as we continue on and seek to live lives of following after Jesus Christ, as we seek to pursue conformity to him, to to learn from the master, to follow after him more clearly, the Messiahship of Jesus is for our sanctification as well as our salvation. Looking unto Jesus as our only hope is for our sanctification as well as for our salvation. Coming to Jesus in faith is not just for our initial point of belief, but we need to come to him in faith for our growth as we walk with him, continuing to walk by faith. See, we never graduate from needing to rest in Christ by faith. We never graduate from needing to see the authority of the Messiah, the King of Kings. And we never graduate from needing to see Jesus as our only hope. That sin that we wrestle with, that we wage war against, the only hope of victory in that sin is through Jesus Christ. Whatever difficulties that we are struggling with in life, the circumstances that that come against us, whatever we're struggling with, the discouragements that we face, our only encouragement can only ever be in Jesus Christ. The second we take our eyes off of Christ and we look to our own power, our own strength for the fight and for the battle and for our own encouragements, we only find that we compound our issues because it's not in us. It's in Christ and the power and the strength that the Spirit provides. Just as we cannot save ourselves, so too we cannot live the Christian life on our own. We need to continue to trust and to rest and to look to Christ as our only hope. And it seems that that's exactly what Bartimaeus did. Look at the last part of verse 52 and how Mark concludes this episode. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus followed Jesus. Of course, within Mark's gospel, that concept of following Jesus consistently has discipleship connotations. He became a disciple, he became a learner, he became a follower of Jesus. Even on the road to Jerusalem, he followed. So as we consider 
this text and as we think about what is needed for us, as we seek to follow after Jesus Christ, as we seek to live as he would have us live, we must come to him by faith. We must see him as our only hope. We must look unto him as the Messiah King, the one who has the authority over us, the one to whom we must honor. The road that Jesus is on is going to lead him to the cross where he will die and give his life as a ransom for many, as he says in verse 45 of this same chapter. And it is only through faith in that sacrifice that he provided on that cross that we can come to him in faith and that we can continue to walk with him as we seek to follow after the pathway that he has led for us. Lord, thank you for this time that we could spend in your word today. Thank you for this text. Lord, we need your mercy. Lord, may this prayer be on our lips. Son of David, have a mercy on me. We need your mercy for our salvation, yes. We need your mercy for our sanctification. Lord, areas of our lives that are out of step with you, we need your mercy. We need your spirit. We need your enablement. We need your power. Let us look unto you. Let us look unto Christ. Let us see you for who you are and humbly bow before you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand. Thank you so much for your amazing grace. Pray this in Christ's name, amen.